Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, even as I was preparing the sermon, I'm, I'm constantly in awe of the fact that God has given us His very words and that they are contained um, in the Bible for His glory and our edification. So to that end, uh, would you pray with me this morning? Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, our Heavenly Father, whose word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Open our minds this morning, illumine our minds, that we may purely and perfectly understand your word, and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood, that in nothing may we be displeasing unto your majesty. We pray this to you, our Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Well, so far in our very brief look at the Psalms, we have seen two very different types of Psalms. Uh, First, we took a look at Psalm 100, if you remember, a very short Psalm focused on the motivation behind our joy and our gratefulness as Christians. We saw that we must worship God with glad and grateful hearts because He is good and we are His people. And it was a Psalm of worship, a Psalm of joy, a Psalm about the goodness and faithfulness of our God psalm that I found greatly encouraging, and I pray that uh, with me you found that encouraged, encouraging as well. And last week, Randy took us into Psalm 51, a song, a psalm of confession and repentance. We saw the prayer of David confessing his sin before God and the amazing revelation that God is a God of mercy and a God of grace who pardons guilty sinners through the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. We were able to hear from this ancient poem of confession, the hope for salvation, and we were able to see that hope fulfilled on the cross of Christ. I pray that you joined David in confessing your sins to God and casting yourself on his goodness and mercy. And this is what's so beautiful about the Psalms. We can read them and learn from them how to express ourselves to God. Whether gladness and gratefulness, as in Psalm 100, or confession and repentance, as in Psalm 51. The Psalms were written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of us, God's people. And so we're going to continue on our short, short journey today with a couple of Psalms of lament. It is Psalms of sorrow, of grief, of misery, and of depression. We've learned what rejoicing looks like, the language we can use to express our joy. We've learned what confession and repentance looks like. Now we're going to learn what it looks like to fight for hope in the midst of the dark times that come upon our lives. We're going to look at the psalmist in a time of great distress and see how he handles it. We're going to observe this morning a man in such great misery that he feels as if God has rejected and forgotten him. How will he respond in this trying time? How will he come to God? What will he do? 
Well, we're going to see that this morning, and from that we will learn how we can navigate and fight for hope in the midst of darkness in our own lives. So let's do that this morning. Let's dig in. So grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is probably smack dab right in the middle of your Bibles. Now this morning is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be actually looking at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And the reason for this is that these two Psalms are very closely related. Um, Much of the same language is used, the same refrain is used in both Psalms. Um, In Psalm Some scholars even believe that these were actually used to be one psalm, but then were split up for some reason. Um, And so we're going to look at both of them because they both are kind of getting at all at the same thing. Either way, it doesn't make a difference, um, but we'll we'll look at both of them this morning and we'll kind of be bouncing around in between them. So, So keep both of them in view. And the structure of the sermon this morning is going to be a little different because of the rhythm and flow of these psalms to just simply go through would be very repetitive. So here's what we're going to do. We're not just going to go straight through the text. We're actually going to kind of organize the sermon into the different parts of the Psalms. So the way that Psalm 42 and 43 works is there's this rhythm going on of lament and then hope, lament and then hope, lament and then hope. And you'll see that the psalmist laments and by that he simply, he, he cries out to God and then he reassures himself and then he cries out to God and then he reassures himself. So What we're going to do this morning is we're going to gather all the sections of lament together and look at those, and then gather all the sections of hope together and look at those. Um, If you're just reading, obviously it works better to read through it, but in a sermon it wouldn't work that well. Um, And I think that will be very evident as we continue, that will make sense. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see the psalmist fight for hope in the midst of confusion and pain. And when we look at these two psalms, what we're going to see is that when dark times come upon you, we fight for hope by doing this. We acknowledge our pain to God, we plead with God, and we preach to ourselves God's past faithfulness and his future salvation. That's that's the main point. When dark times come, when misery, when depression, when pain comes on our lives, we fight for hope in the midst of that by acknowledging our pain to God, by pleading with God and by preaching to ourselves God's past faithfulness and his future salvation. We acknowledge, we plead, and we preach. And so let's look at these two psalms. Now, if you look at the heading of Psalms 42, what you see is it says, To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. So what that means simply is that this was a song that was meant to be sung. Um, possibly a song of instruction. And so we're going to look at it this morning and gain instruction from it. We're not sure who wrote these two psalms. Um, Some believe it was the sons of Korah who were musicians who wrote this psalm, uh, these two psalms. Some believe it was David um, who wrote it for the sons of Korah, or maybe they wrote the music or something like that. But either way, uh, just for the sake of simplicity this morning, I'm just going to refer to the author as David. Um, Somebody wrote it, and that will work just fine. Um, And so what you can see is that from the title, the title of the psalm is, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Already we're seeing that it's a psalm about dark times, about depression, about sorrow, about pain and confusion. And so what what we see is the first thing that David does in this condition, in his misery, in his depression, is he acknowledges his pain to God. He puts it all out on the table in front of God. He doesn't hold back anything. 
He honestly opens up to God about how he feels. He, he pours his soul out to God. And that's the first step that we need to take when these times, when dark times come upon our lives. So let's take a look at a couple of the pieces of the text and notice what David's doing. Look at Psalm 42, 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4 it says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Listen to David's words. He's, he's in deep, deep distress. Think about the words he's using. It's, it's a spiritual distress, distress and it's an emotional distress. His enemies are taunting him. His enemies are mocking God because apparently God has deserted him. He had taken a bold public stand for God and yet it had failed. He's in so much distress, so much misery, that he has completely lost his appetite, he says. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. In other words, he isn't eating, he's just weeping. Now I know that some of you here today know that type of pain and in the midst of this misery, he thinks back to better days. He says he remembers when he would lead the people in worship, and it was wonderful. It's basically saying, I remember when my life used to be like Psalm 100, when, when joy and rejoicing was a, was a very real part of my life, a vivid reality, but now things are much different. God is distant, so distant, in fact, that, that he's, he uses the metaphor of he's, he's dying of thirst. He's thirsting for God, but his thirst is not being satisfied. He pictures a deer searching for water. His soul is dying of a thirst, but not a physical thirst, a spiritual thirst, a thirst for God. He needs to feel God. He wants to feel God like he used to. He wants to be in God's presence again, but for whatever reason, God has not answered that prayer. And to make all these matters worse, all his enemies can see this clearly. And they're taunting him, saying, you say you serve the living God, where is your God now? You look foolish. He's deserted you. But the key to see is that the psalmist, the David, he doesn't keep this to himself. He pours this out to God in prayer. He acknowledges his pain to God in prayer. And he does this continuing in the psalm. Look at 42, uh, chapter 42, Psalm 42, uh, verse 6 through 7. He's going to continue to do the same thing. He says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. His language intensifies here. His soul is cast down. He's upset. He's depressed. And we now see part of the problem is he's in exile. He's away from Jerusalem, his home. He's been taken north out of Israel for some reason. Uh, the 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 Mount Hermon, the mountain range that Mount Hermon is in, is up kind of by the modern-day border of Syria and Lebanon. So it's outside of Jerusalem. He's not able to worship with his people. He's outside from what he feels as the presence of God. And uh, coincidentally, uh, Mount Hermon, the mountain range, contains many waterfalls. So it's almost as if he's sitting by one of these waterfalls as he's penning this psalm. 
hearing the roar of the waters and saying, I feel like I'm drowning. He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. They're crashing over me. Essentially what he's saying is, God, I'm drowning here. And he's, but he's acknowledging at the same time that they're your waves. You're the one sending them. It's, it's the image of someone swimming. And maybe this has happened to you. It's happened to me. If you've ever been swimming in the ocean and you kind of go down and you come up for a breath and right as you come up, a wave crashes on you. And so you have to go back down really quick without catching your breath. And then right as you come up, another wave's right there. And so you got to go down and you eventually feel like, I'm going to drown because every time I come up, I get hit with another wave. That's what the psalmist is picturing here. He says, God, that's what I feel like. I feel like I'm drowning. Your waves keep crashing on me. I can't breathe. I can't, I can't catch my breath, so to speak. Your waves are crushing me. You see what he's doing. He's acknowledging his pain to God. At the same time, he's acknowledging that it's by the hand of God that this is coming. He says, your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. He is saying, Lord, I'm drowning in misery here. Why aren't you stopping it? Obviously, you could bring an end to this, Lord. Why don't you bring me home? Where are you? I'm thirsting after you, and I'm not being satisfied. David is in the midst of a severe storm of emotional and spiritual pain here of grief, of sorrow. He's confused. He's hurting, and all he wants is God, but his prayers are not being answered. He continues in verse 9 of Psalm 42. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He says, okay, God, you're my rock. So he's not, he's not losing faith. He acknowledges, God, you're my rock. You're my hiding place, my refuge. But why have you forgotten me? Why have you let your enemies and my enemies conquer me and oppress me? David feels as if God has forgotten him, just left him, has deserted him. And he's not afraid to express that to God. Now, if you pay close attention to the language he's using, you'll notice that he's not blaspheming God. He's not accusing God. He's not irreverent. He hasn't even lost his faith, but he's confused, and he's hurt, and he's miserable. And I don't think he actually thinks God forgot him. God doesn't forget things. But what he's saying is, God, where are you? Why have you left me in this state? He feels as if he's been forgotten by God. And again, though, what he does that's so key for us is he acknowledges this to God. He brings this to God in prayer. He brings this to his rock, his hiding place, his God. And so again, I want you to see that all of his pain, all of his frustration, all of his misery, he brings to God and says, this is how I feel. I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like, like, why is this happening? He pours his soul out for God. He's not holding anything back. He doesn't feel like before he comes to God in prayer, he has to pretend like everything's fine. He's confused. He's in pain. In Psalm 43, 2, we'll see later, he says, why have you rejected me? He says, God, I feel like you've rejected me. He not only feels forgotten by God, but rejected. But still, he brings this all to God in prayer. And that is the truth the truth is that many of you are sitting here this morning 
and you've experienced dark times like this, times where, where you've, you feel forgotten by God or, or feel rejected by God. You feel confused about what he's doing in your life. And if you've never experienced that, you will in the future, I'm sure of it. Your life isn't going as you had planned. That's, that's the problem with the psalmist. He says, I'm... I used to worship you in Jerusalem. I used to be in your presence. I used to lead all the people in worship, and now I'm stuck out here outside of your presence. God, what, what are you doing? The church fathers called seasons of our lives like this. The, the seasons of why, why have you rejected me, God? They called it the dark night of the soul. And maybe some of you haven't experienced this, but, but I guarantee at some point you will. It's simply part of the Christian life. And there's some comfort in that, just knowing that everyone goes through those seasons. And so whether you're in a dark season now or later, remember that you must pour your soul out to God. You must acknowledge your pain to God. We can't hold it all in, bottle it up, and act as if God can't handle it. Can't handle our pain, can't handle our confusion. Don't act as if you have to clean yourself up and compose yourself before you come to God in prayer. Put away your sorrow, put away your pain, put away your confusion. And just come to God as if it doesn't exist. That's not the biblical model of prayer. Again, that's one of the things that many of the Psalms show us, not, this, not just this one. David surely doesn't hide anything here in this Psalm. He lays it all out on the table. He lets God know everything he's thinking and feeling. And this is actually part of the process of fighting for hope. It's the first step. Charles Spurgeon, the famous uh, 19th century preacher, put it this way. He says, faith is allowed to inquire of her God the causes of his displeasure. And she is even permitted to expostulate, what a great word, with him, and put him in the mind of his promises and ask why apparently they are not fulfilled. He says, faith, true faith, can go to God and say, God, you've promised these things in your word, but I just don't see them. Why? What's going on? Again, in faith, in faith. And so this morning, I want to encourage you in this. And I want to give you the freedom to pray like David. It's biblical. Pour out your soul to God in your pain. Don't hold anything back. Pour your pain and confusion and frustration out to God in prayer. Don't be afraid to vent in faith. I promise you God can handle it. Don't be afraid to pray like David did. Lord, you're my God. You're my rock. But I'm confused. What is going on? I'm I'm in distress. I'm absolutely miserable. And all I want is your presence. But I feel so far from you. Why do you feel so far away? Would you come to me? I'm I'm drowning over here. See, that's the first step in fighting for hope in the midst of darkness is acknowledging our pain to God. Acknowledging our pain to God. But, But what next? After you acknowledge your pain to God, are you just supposed to sit there and wallow in misery? No. David does acknowledge his pain to God, but then he moves to the next thing. And These aren't necessarily in order, but he moves to the next thing, pleading. He pleads that God would change his circumstances. He prays that God would deliver him. Look at Psalm 43, 1 through 4. This is how David pleads with God. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, 
my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. So David has poured out his soul to God, and now he pleads. He pleads for vindication, for justice. He pleads for deliverance, for salvation from his circumstances. And in, midst, in the midst of, of pleading, he even slips back into to despair. He says, for, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. But it's almost as if he says, yeah, that's, I take refuge in you. Why, why have you rejected me? Again, he uses the same exact words. Why? Why am I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why are you letting this happen, God? He's still confused. He's still miserable. He still doesn't understand what's going on or why God is allowing this to happen. Why God has withdrawn his presence from him. But he continues to plead with God. And I want you to notice something that I think is extremely significant about this psalm. David here is praying for deliverance. He's praying that God would rescue him, for, that God would save him. He wants this trial to end. But notice that that's not all he prays for. He actually reveals his motive to God, why he wants this to happen. He lets God know why he wants to be delivered. Look at verse 4 in Psalm 43. He says, why does he want to be delivered? Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. In other words, David wants God to deliver him so he can worship God. He's saying, God, won't it be so glorious if you deliver me? I will give you all the glory and all the praise. I want to worship you more. Lord, if you deliver me from this trial, I'll be able to worship you so much more. You're my joy, my God. See, David's motivation, even in the time of his deepest distress, is the glory of God, the presence of God. That's that's what he's getting at. The very first verse of Psalm 42, he says, my soul thirsts for the living God. That's ultimately David's biggest complaint is that, God, I'm thirsting for you. I want you and I'm not finding you. It's not about his physical situation so much as that he feels as if God has withdrawn his presence from him. He wants God. And David lets God know, that's why I want you to deliver me. I want you, God. Bring me to yourself. He says, bring me to your dwelling. Lead me to your dwelling. That's what I want, God. I want to come into your presence. And brothers and sisters, we are to follow David's example in the dark times of our lives. We must plead with God in prayer. We can ask him to deliver us. Indeed, that's how he works. But again, we must always check our own motivations. Do you want deliverance? Do you want your trial to end just simply because then it will be easier for you in life? Or is your ultimate motivation the glory of God, the knowledge of God? So I would just encourage you this morning, as you're you're pleading with God for deliverance from your trial, please do that. But plead for more of God himself. Say, God, yes, I do want to be delivered from this trial, but what I ultimately want is to know you more. I want your presence in my life. I want you to lead me into your presence. And if sometimes your heart just isn't there, the prayer is simply, God, change my heart. I want to desire that. So please give me that desire. And so David pleads with God. He reasons with God. He prays to God. As David fights for hope in the midst of this dark time, he acknowledges his pain to God and he pleads with God. He acknowledges, he pleads, and then what? Well, David's final move is this. He talks to himself. He talks to himself. More specifically, he preaches to himself God's past faithfulness and God's future salvation. 
He talks to himself about God's goodness, both in the past and in the future. He tells his soul to get a grip and remember how trustworthy God is. And he does this three times within these two Psalms, all with identical wording. You'll see it in 42.5, 42.11, and 43.5. This is the chorus of the psalm, the chorus of the song. This is David's repeated mini-sermon to himself. Look at it in in, uh, Psalm 42, verse 5. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? So he's questioned God, now he's questioning himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, put your hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now he repeats that three times. You see what he's doing? He's talking to himself. Self, soul, why are you so upset about all this? Why are you losing hope? Why are you so depressed about all this? Why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God. He's commanding his own heart, his own soul to to hope in God. Because he says, I will again praise him. In other words, he will deliver me. He has been my salvation in the past, and he will be my salvation in the future. He is my God. He interrogates himself. He's basically saying, soul, don't you remember who your God is? How awesome he is? How faithful he is? Put your hope in him because you can trust him. Don't lose hope. Hope in God. Now, by doing this, he's not ignoring his emotions. Again, that's so important. He's not ignoring and invalidating his emotions. He's he's acknowledged all those very clearly to God. He's not ignoring the reality of his confusion. He's not ignoring his situation. It's not a quick fix but it is a foundational truth that sustains us in dark times. The famous British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book on this very subject called Spiritual Depression. And in it, he writes about Psalm 42. And he writes about this practice of preaching to ourselves. And it's just, he writes with such great clarity. Here's what he says about this practice. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalms 42, Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. himself. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? He asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, to preach to yourself, to question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you so downcast? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, and what God has done, and what God has promised himself to do. Then, having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his presence, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. And see, that's exactly it. Preach to yourself. Preach God's goodness to your worries, to your fears, to your pain, to your confusion. Speak the truths of Scripture to your own heart.
heart. And now look down at chapter, Psalm 42, uh, verse 8. Here the, he acknowledges, David acknowledges to himself how faithful God is and what probably is the climax of both of these psalms. In verse 8 he says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. There's that word again that we saw in Psalm 100, has said his covenantal love, his steadfast love. David reminds himself here that God is in control and that he is good. David's fighting for hope. His situation is terrible. He's depressed. He's confused. And yet he's fighting for hope by preaching to himself. By preaching to his heart the goodness of God, David reminds himself that God has been faithful in the past and he will continue to be faithful in the future. David will yet again praise God because God is good and he can trust in that. So we see this pattern. Acknowledge, plead, and preach. That's the pattern David shows us. And as we saw in Psalm 100 and Psalm 51, if David had a reason to trust in God in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his confusion, how much more faith, how much more reason, how much more motivation do we have to hope in God? We, when we experience dark times in our lives, we are to look back on, on God's faithfulness. Where can we look? Where should we look? We have the great privilege of looking to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We can look to the cross and understand that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die a slave's death, bearing our sins in his body on a tree, on a cross, suffering bleeding, dying for us willingly in our place. Let that sink in a moment. David looked to the future fulfillment of God's promises. He says, God, you said that you'll save me. I'll trust that future promise. We can look back and say, God, you said you were going to do it and you did it. And we can look forward and say, God, there are still things yet to come. If you're trusting in Christ, your sins have been wiped out and you have his righteousness, the very righteousness of God you think that God who did that for you, who chose you before the foundation of the world as his precious possession will now desert you in your time of need? Do you think that this God will abandon you? Never. As you listen, sorry, Christian, listen, it will not happen. If you are in Christ, he chose you. He's not going to unchoose you. This is the crux of Paul's argument at the end of Romans 8. And in 831 and 35, Paul talks about dark times. And this is the great thing about these scriptures. We can use the text of scripture to preach to ourselves. Romans 831 through 35 says this, and I'll kind of read it as if I'm preaching to myself, and this is what I mean. Listen, soul, if God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you. How will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against you as God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you. Who shall separate you then from the love of Christ? The answer is nothing. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. So soul, self, Stop despairing and trust in God in the midst of this darkness. You see, we must preach the truths of Scripture 
to ourselves in times of darkness because the scriptures constantly testify to the goodness and faithfulness of God. The entire scripture, the entire Bible is the story of God's faithfulness to his promises. Christ himself understands our grief and sorrow. For indeed, he was a man of grief and sorrow, the scriptures say. In fact, Christ's soul was troubled very much like David's. In the Gospel of John, he utters the same words that are the title of this psalm. Now my soul is troubled, he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Jesus himself experienced soul trouble, turmoil, and pain. But... The scriptures say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us, his people. He will not desert you. You can lean on him in dark times. Come to him in faith. Come to him in your confusion, in your pain. Bring it to him. Cast your distress and your burdens on Jesus. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul did. Let's look briefly at 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. We see a perfect picture, and Paul See if you can pull it out as I read it. Paul acknowledges his pain, he pleads, and he preaches. Here's what he says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. See what Paul says? He says, we despaired of life itself. It's acknowledgement. He doesn't hide it. He says, you must help us by prayer. He says, pray for us. He's pleading for deliverance. He says, he will deliver us. He raises the dead. Our hope is on him. He's preaching to himself. He's preaching to the Corinthians. All to the glory of God. And also that Paul and his friends would be more dependent on God. Brothers and sisters, if you're suffering today, if you're confused, if you're burdened, if you're despairing, you're not alone. Jesus suffered. The apostle Paul suffered. All Christians throughout history have suffered. God is near to you, no matter how far he feels, and he is drawing you to himself in this time. Fight for hope in the midst of darkness. Fight for hope in the midst of confusion and pain. But you see, the thing is, is that the scriptures tell us that only those who thirst for God will be satisfied. There's only hope in Christ. And so if you're here this morning and, and you're in the midst of a dark time, but, but you don't know Christ, you've rejected him, you've pushed him away, said, I don't want that, I'm fine. My plea to you this morning is come to Christ for hope. There's only hope found in him. There's no hope outside of Christ. What hope do you have? None. And so my, my plea for you this morning is to come to Christ in faith. As I said earlier, he, if you will come to him in faith, you will find him to be a perfect savior. He accepts all those who come to him in faith. So come this morning and find hope in Christ. See, in these times of darkness, of misery, of pain, of confusion, you must acknowledge, plead, and preach. When darkness comes upon you, on your soul, fight for hope by acknowledging your pain to God, by pleading with God, and preaching to yourself God's past faithfulness and his future salvation. 
If you will do this, surely, in the words of Spurgeon, the monsters that dwell in your life will slowly dwindle into trifles. It won't be a quick fix, but it will soothe your soul. I would like to end this morning with a passage of scripture from Isaiah and another quote from Spurgeon. So as I read these, let these words wash over you. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a broken and contr- a broken, a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. God dwells with those of a broken and contrite spirit to revive them. And I'd like to close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon, which he wrote uh, in his thoughts on Psalm 43, verse 5. Listen to how he preaches to himself. He says this, The Heavenly Father will not stand by and see his children trampled on forever. As surely as the sun is in the heavens, light must arise for the people of God, though for a while they may walk in darkness. Times of complaint soon will end, and seasons of praise will begin. Come, my heart, look out the window, borrow the telescope, forecast a little, and sweeten your chamber with sprigs of the sweet herb of hope. My God will clear the furrows from my brow and the tear marks from my cheek. Therefore, I will lift up my head and smile in the face of the storm. And that's our prayer this morning. I pray that you would hope in God and smile in the face of the storms of this life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging our pain. Lord, all of us in this room are at different places in our life. Some of us are experiencing this right now. Deep distress, misery, confusion. Father, we acknowledge that. I pray that you would teach us to model our prayer lives after David. Lord, I plead for those right now, would you deliver them? And for all of us in this room, for every single person here, Lord, I pray that you would just build a desire in us for more and more of you. Would you cause us to thirst after you more? Would you reveal yourself to us more deeply, Lord? Would you satisfy our thirsts as we seek you out, Lord? We give you all the glory, praise, and honor this morning for sending your son Jesus to die in our place, Lord. And I pray for any in this room who do not know him, Lord, would you open their heart this morning to hear and would they cast their hope fully on him. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.